So what is the Christmas spirit? What is the Christmas spirit? Well, maybe we can answer that by saying what it is not. In A Christmas Carol, the famous work by Charles Dickens, we get a pretty good picture of the opposite of the Christmas spirit with jolly old Ebenezer Scrooge. In one scene in the book, there's this moment where some folks have come and asked Scrooge for a little bit of donations for the poor. And in that moment, uh, the man says to Scrooge this. He says, what shall I put you down for? And Scrooge says, nothing. To which, with the British background, the gentleman very nicely said, oh, you wish to be anonymous. To which Scrooge said, I wish to be left alone. And then he went on to say this. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people Mary. That is definitely not the Christmas spirit. That, that would be the opposite of what the Christmas spirit is. The Christmas spirit is kind of a code of kindness, of generosity, of, of love and charity toward other people. That's the, the general idea. I saw something this week that said if you really want to get in the Christmas spirit, then bake something. You know, just, just bake something. And if you do that, if you bake something, just understand that you will probably help someone else to get in the Christmas spirit. You know, somebody like me. Unless, of course, you are making a parsnip casserole. If that's what you're baking, then I'm out. I have nothing interest in that. I can't believe there's such a thing. I don't know if there is. We'll see. This may sound odd, but what if I were to tell you this, that the deepest and most satisfying reality of Christmas cannot be found in the Christmas spirit. The deepest and most satisfying reality of Christmas cannot be found in the Christmas spirit. Rather, the deepest and most satisfying reality of Christmas is found, in a sense, more in flesh and blood than it is in the Christmas spirit. What in the world does that mean? And why does it matter? Well, let's see if we can find out together. We're looking at John chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. John writes, but as many as received him. Now, in the two sentences right before this, John has been talking about how people were not receiving Jesus. He was saying that Jesus was right there in front of the people from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, but they did not receive him. They did not welcome him, and they did not follow him. But it wasn't just people in general. John points out that the church people did not welcome Jesus. They did not receive Jesus. They did not follow Jesus. Now, why? Well, it was because of the fuel in their lives. The fuel meaning that they were fueling something in their life. Either it was pride, or it was tradition, or it was religious fad, or it was some type of apathy. There's all types of things that we can be fueling ourselves, but whatever they were fueling themselves with, they weren't fueling their faith. And because they weren't fueling their faith, Jesus, right before them, they refused him. They rejected him. They did not welcome him. Their fuel was wrong. What are you fueling right now the most in your life? What's getting all of your emotions and all of your energy right now in life? Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it anger, frustration? Is it conspiracy? Is it complacency? Is it arrogance? Is it ignorance? Is it indifference? What are you fueling your life with right now? Because what you're fueling your life with matters. These folks, the church folks, were not fueling their faith first and most. 
Therefore, when Jesus came, they ignored him. They refused him. They rejected him. They missed him. But not everybody rejected Jesus. In fact, there were people who embraced Jesus. They received him. They welcomed him. And they followed him. And what happened to those folks? Verse 12. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who receive Jesus become children of God. Now, what does it mean to be a child of God? Sounds like fancy language. Well, I can't explain it. I just can't. I can't explain what it means to be a child of God. It is, it is too grand. It is too phenomenal. It is too fabulous. It's, it's hard to even comprehend. So I'm just going to give it a shot in a couple of sentences, all right? To be a child of God means that you are an heir of everything God owns. And God owns the universe. That means to be a child of God, your inheritance is everything in the universe. But not just that. To be a child of God means that you are eternally part of God's family. That means that God will love you and he will care for you forever and ever and ever. But wait, there's more. Someone put it this way. In addition to inheriting everything God owns, in addition to be a, a part of God's family, God will make you infinitely happy in his presence. God will make you infinitely happy in his presence. So, so I don't know, that doesn't sound like anything I want, right? Infinite happiness? Why in the world would we want that? Infinitely happy. This is who God is. But let me share something with you. No one else can do that for you. Nobody. No one else can make you infinitely happy. Your parents, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your favorite politician, your favorite athlete, your favorite musician, whoever it is, no one can make you infinitely happy. Not because they don't want to, but they can't. They just don't have the ability to do it. And guess what? You don't have that ability either. You cannot make anyone infinitely happy. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, not anyone in the world. You cannot make someone infinitely happy. Not because maybe you don't want to, but you can't. You don't have the ability. But God, the one true, great, grand, glorious, powerful, sovereign, majestic, providential God, he can make you infinitely happy. Infinitely happy. To be a child of God means you inherit all that God has, it means that you are eternally part of God's family, and it means that God, in his presence, will make you infinitely happy. And here's the thing. He, he wants to do all that. He delights that you would be his child. He delights to make you infinitely happy. This is who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. So, with all that great stuff, how can you become a child of God. Right, here it is. Receive Jesus. That's, that's the math here. When Jesus offers you his salvation, receive it, welcome it, embrace it, follow after Jesus. But why do you need that? Why do you need to be saved? Why do you need the salvation of Jesus? What kind of salvation is it? It's salvation from the curse of sin. 
It's salvation from the wrath of God. It's salvation from the horror of everlasting death. Maybe more importantly, though, it's salvation from being separated from God forever. It's salvation from being separated from the only one who can make you infinitely happy. When Jesus freely offers his salvation, receive it. Now, some of you might say, well, how do I know? How, how do I know if and when Jesus is offering me his salvation? Well, here's the thing. Jesus is offering you his salvation right now. Right now. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day to bring you to God. He was born. He lived. He died. He was and is risen to bring you to God. This is who he is. Jesus is the only one that can bring you to the one who delights to make you infinitely happy. So if you are not a Christian, Jesus is offering you his salvation right now. Receive it. And if you are already a Christian, Jesus is offering you his salvation right now. What's that thing right now? What, what's making you anxious? What's making you angry? Where's the anxiety, the, the stress, the indifference, the whatever it is? What is that thing happening in your life right now that, that seems to be clouding your ability to think? Whatever it is, whatever is happening, whatever's overwhelming you today, Jesus is offering you his salvation right now. See, here's the confidence of what a believer lives in every day. We should be living as this every day with this confidence. Believers, you are saved. You are being saved. One day you will be ultimately and gloriously saved. This is our life. This is who we are. Are you living in that confidence today? Are you fueling your faith with confidence in God? Are you receiving Jesus over and over again for all the different moments of life? Are you receiving him as the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace right now? See, his desire is to constantly be received. I heard a question this week that kind of caught me off guard. I loved it. What is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? In 1910, J. Wilbur Chapman wrote a song. The title of the song is Our Great Savior. And in that song, he wrote what the Bible describes as what Jesus is doing right now. And the way he wrote it was this, that Jesus right now is being a friend to sinners. And the way that Jesus right now is being a friend to sinners is he is saving them, he is helping them, he is keeping them, and he is loving them. Right now, Jesus is saving and helping and keeping and loving. 
Right now in the world, Jesus is saving, helping, and keeping, and loving. Right now in this country, Jesus is saving, and helping, and keeping, and loving. Right now in this community, Jesus is saving, and helping, and keeping, and loving. Right now in this church, Jesus is saving, and helping, and keeping, and loving. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is doing. Don't let anyone tell you it's not true. Don't let any announcement or any news piece or any circumstance that comes up in your life say to yourself, oh, Jesus is no longer saving. He's no longer helping. He's no longer keeping. He's no longer loving because it's not true. Right now, Jesus is giving people the privilege, the right to become children of God. Right now, Jesus is making people heirs of God. Right now, Jesus is saving. Right now, Jesus is helping. Right now, Jesus is keeping. Right now, Jesus is loving. That's what Jesus is doing right now. So if you are not a Christian, receive Jesus right now. And if you are a Christian, receive Jesus right now. Why? Because he is the light of the world. In him there is no darkness, and there is no darkness in the world that can or will ever overcome him. Can't happen. Receive him. So how can you become a child of God? Receive Jesus. How do you receive Jesus? John's going to help us. Verse 12. Even to those who believe in his name. To receive Jesus is to believe in Jesus and to keep believing in Jesus. I think I saw where in the book of John more than 90 times the word for believe is a verb. In other words, from the earliest moments of people calling people to Jesus, even when Jesus calling people to himself or his disciples, belief was an action, and not a one-time action. It wasn't just praying a sinner's prayer. It wasn't just getting baptized. It wasn't just attending church. No, the picture that we have is that when you believe in Jesus, you keep on believing in Jesus. It's not a one-time moment in history. You don't just receive Jesus one time. You keep receiving Jesus over and over again. You don't just receive you know, the, the baby Jesus at Christmas and the risen Jesus at Easter. No, you invite Jesus into every single moment of your life. You receive Jesus into your marriage. You receive Jesus into your singleness. You receive Jesus into your parenting. You receive Jesus into your schoolwork and your, your work at your real job. You receive Jesus into your hobbies and into your sports. You receive Jesus into the decisions you make with money. You receive Jesus into the decisions you make with time. You receive Jesus into the decision to not make a parsnip casserole. Just don't do it, okay? It's scary. It's scary. We, we constantly are receiving Jesus. Over and over again, we are welcoming Jesus into every single part of our life. The question we asked a moment goes, what's Jesus doing right now? Someone has said you can break it down into three categories. He is being the prophet, he is being the priest, and he is being the king. That's how the Bible describes it. Now, most of us, we're cool with prophet and priest. Really, it's fine, right? I mean, you know, the teaching of Jesus, the prophet, okay, the, the priest, you know, the caring of Jesus, we're good with all that. It's the king part we struggle with. The idea of letting Jesus rule, that, that's a little different. 
But to follow Jesus, to receive Jesus, means to believe him. It means to keep believing him. And it also means to relinquish to him. Part of what it means to follow after Jesus is to say, you know what? As Isaac Watts says, because of what Jesus has done, he demands my life, my soul, my all. Or as we just sang, what do we sing? That the day that Jesus was born, it was the birthday of a king, not just a baby, but a king, and not just a king, but the king. To receive Jesus is to believe Jesus. To believe Jesus is to keep believing Jesus, to keep receiving him, to keep welcoming him. And why should you do that? Why should you keep receiving Jesus? Why should you keep welcoming him? In 1745, Charles Wesley wrote one of my favorite songs. We sang it last Sunday. This is the time of year that we sing it. And the song is, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Interestingly, the song I mentioned a moment ago, Our Great Savior, has the exact same tune as this song. That's why a few times here in recent years, we've sung them together. We've kind of done a little mixtape of them together because they're exactly the same. Um, uh, come thou long expected Jesus Jesus what a friend for sinners same tune it's great love it um, it's great to put them together too but, but this is a picture of, of why we should turn to Jesus of why we should receive him of why we should welcome him over and over again this is what Wesley wrote dear desire of every nation joy of every longing heart even if you don't know it even if you know it and you reject it even if you think it's just a bunch of hippy dippy baloney the reality is you were created with a longing for Jesus in fact every nation every people group in the world they were created with a desire for Jesus a desire for his salvation there is a longing of all people everywhere every single person on the planet has a desire for Jesus it is innate it was created inside of them every person of every race color creed background political party no matter what it is everyone has been created with a longing for Jesus why because Jesus is the light of the world and in him there is no darkness and there is no darkness in the world that can or will ever overcome him so we long for the pure light we long for the perfect light because we realize that the world is dark but why is Jesus the only light why is he the only, only light that, that really will satisfy our soul well we're going to answer that in just a second but first Listen to how John describes what it means to be a child of God. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. On May 26, 1972, Josie Dow Welsh Jr., that would be me, was born to Josie Dow Welsh Sr. and Patricia Andrews Welsh at University Hospital in Augusta, Georgia. That was the day I was born. I was born of flesh and blood that day. But I was not born of God that day. I didn't receive and welcome Jesus on the day that I was born. So is everybody a child of God? 
Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that we are all created miraculously by God, that we've all uh, been endowed by our creator with existence. So yes, in a sense, everybody's a child of God. But to be a true child of God, to, to be an heir of God, to have a soul that is no longer caught in the curse of sin, that requires being born again. Well, how in the world can you do that? What does it mean to be born again? Well, I can't explain it. <laughs> it's, it's too phenomenal. It's too, it's too grand. I can simply say this. It is the unique and sovereign work of God. And the way the Bible describes it is that God quickens a person's heart to hear the truth about Jesus, to receive and welcome the truth about Jesus. And that quickening is the, the spark of being born again. On May 26, 1972, I did not make myself born. I became a child through God's grace through my parents. A decade later, later I did not cause myself to be born again. I became a child of God. It was the work of God, the grace of God through Jesus. But we might ask, well, how do I know if I'm a child of God? I mean, how do I know if I'm truly born again? It's an amazingly simple answer. You ready? Here it is. How do you know if you're a child of God? How do you know if you're truly born again? Here's how you know. You're receiving and you're believing and you're believing and you're believing. If you're a Christian, it is a Christmas miracle that you're saved. It is. It, it is. it is a miracle that any of us are saved, that the gospel made it to us, that God in his mercy has saved and rescued us. But if we've been born again of God, if we're a child of God, it'll be seen in who we are and what we do. Not perfect, okay? None of us are perfect. We're never going to get it all right, but it's going to be seen. One of the worst things and worst moments I ever have in life is the person that dies and the story is, well, they joined the church 50 years ago, but I've never seen them have much to do with God since. That is not a fun funeral to prepare for. Help me. Be someone that there's no confusion. You're receiving and believing. Not perfect because none of us are, but there is evidence that you over and over again are welcoming Jesus. And why should you do that? Here's why. Because Jesus is the light. In him there is no darkness, and there is no darkness in this world that will ever overcome him. So why is it the only light? Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came and dwelt among us. That's why Jesus is the only one, the only light. He is God. Jesus is not just some vague, random Christmas spirit. No, the Bible says that he is the word and the word became flesh and blood. Jesus moved into the neighborhood to bring us to God. We call this Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation. 
When Jesus was born in the manger, when Jesus was teaching in the village, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, when when Jesus was risen from the dead, all these moments that we see in the life of Jesus on this earth, make no mistake, he was truly God and he was truly man. And John says, he's the Word. Capital W, he's the Word. In other words, Jesus is God's message. You don't need another word, you know? Don't come to me, pastor, I need a word from you. Can you give me a word? Don't, because you know what I'm gonna say? Jesus, that's, that's the word. He is the word. He's God's message. He's God's answer. Whatever the question may be, all the ultimate questions of life find their answer in Jesus. He is the word. That's why the word is what you need. And that's why we say that the deepest and most satisfying reality of Christmas is not going to be found in the Christmas spirit. It's going to be found in the fact that the word became flesh that Jesus came here Emmanuel God with us the word is God's full and final and ultimate answer for the world he is the light of the world Jesus is the word let me ask you a question do you ever feel like someone's against you Ever feel like somebody is against you or someone's against you or someone's working against you? Maybe you feel like the government is against you. Maybe you feel like the economy is against you. Maybe you feel like your, your health is against you. Maybe you feel like your parents are against you, your spouse is against you, your kids are against you. Maybe you feel like your boss is against you. Maybe you feel like parsnip casseroles are against you. They are, they are. Here's why Jesus being the Word and why the Word become, becoming flesh matters to you right now this Christmas. Okay, here's why. The reason that Jesus becoming the Word and becoming flesh matters to you can be summed up from an old ancient church creed. And this is what it said. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Don't miss the math of this. Personalize it. Internalize it. Jesus came for you. Jesus was born for you. Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. Jesus came to bring you near to God. This is who he is. David Mathis said this, Jesus didn't just become man because he could. This was no circus stunt, not something just for show. He became man in the world for us and for our salvation. And then he goes on. The incarnation is not only the way in which Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us, but it's an eternal testimony that he and his father are un swervingly for us. When we say that Jesus is the word, when we say that Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, what we are saying is this, is that Jesus 
has come to bring you to God. Jesus has come to bring his salvation to you. And when you receive his salvation, don't miss this. That means that God is unswervingly for you. No one can promise you that but God. And he's guaranteed it in the word and, and not just in some, you know, fluffy sense. He sent the word in flesh to make sure we could see with our own eyes the length that he will go to to let you know that he delights and desires for you to be his child. He delights and desires to be unswervingly for you. So that's why we say receive and believe and rejoice. Step into the light. 